one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. That's... Yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh, you have to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. I'm down to Anfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawnee man? It's the Irish Times second captain's football podcast. Oh, my David here with Ken Early. Hi, Ken. Hey, how are you doing? Oh, not too bad. I'm sure we're both looking forward to the first half of 2015 being dedicated exclusively to the Stephen Gerrard lap of honour. If I've learned anything, Ken, from Brian O'Driscoll's last season, yeah. it's that nobody goes over the top in their praise of the departing sportsman. The big question is, can Liverpool produce a banner to compete with that beastly object that enveloped Lansdowne Road on O'Driscoll's last <laughs> appearance at the stadium? You remember the game against Italy? Yes, this I remember. intimidating banner must have been, I'm going to say... I'm not I'm never good at these measurements, Ken. I'm going to say 60 foot by 40 foot. Oh, I'd say it was at least that, yeah. yeah. I'd say it was probably a bit bigger than Even that. Even bigger than that. Just and slowly, as O'Driscoll's doing his post-match interview, it's slowly, slowly, slowly reaching, coming from the side towards where he's standing. Yeah. It's almost as though it's not going to stop until it literally does envelop, envelop him. him. Somebody thought better of it and thought we might as well just let the real O'Driscoll be the star as opposed to this uh, horrific... Visage. Representation, yeah, of, representation him. of him. Now, I think there will be a fair bit of that, all right. Um, it's, uh, I mean, obviously, Jared said that it would, uh, he was doing this in order to avoid that, but I think that's exactly what Brian O'Driscoll said he was going to do. Um, yeah, it didn't quite work out. O'Driscoll, so O'Driscoll had the, uh, not dissimilar to Jared, he had the, uh, well, except that Stephen Jared is still playing football. The MLS is football, despite what. Um, a lot of English soccer fans might think he's still a professional sportsman but with O'Driscoll he was obviously being asked consistently and constantly about whether or not he was going to retire in the in his penultimate what turned out to be his penultimate season whether that was going to be his last uh, ultimately he decided right next time I'm going to sign my contract for a year but I'm stating right at the start that that's it I'm not, I don't want to go through all these questions again about whether or not I'm going to finish up at the end of this year I'm definitely done and there's no doubt about it of course then it's replaced with uh, a lot of questions about how does it feel to be playing your last ever game at the RDS your last ever game at Lansdowne Road uh, and, you know, it, was all, it was all very well meaning I'm sure he, he enjoyed parts of it but it must have got a little, it's got a little bit much 
I would have thought. And it might do for Stephen Jared, but maybe Jared will enjoy being uh, having sort of unfettered love showered upon him. I think he's had that for 16 years. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I'm sure he'd be thinking about it in terms of, oh, this is all coming to an end now. Um, you know, I mean, he, I thought his his uh, his comments about his statement were, you know, was, as usual, fairly, you know... Downbeat. Sad, sad sounding. This is the worst. This is the toughest decision of my life. Think, Come on, it's not that bad. You know, the, you, the decision you've made is to keep playing football and to earn tons of money playing in MLS. Maybe alongside King Robbie the First of America. Um... <laughs> You know, you might get the chance to finally win that league title if you hit yourself into uh, King Robbie's uh, slipstream. You know, you could be there uh, loading the bullets for him. I'm sure Robbie Keane, from his point of view, I think they share an agent. They certainly used to, uh, Strew and Marshall. And, uh, you know, I, I think Jared probably had a little bit to do with Robbie Keane first rocking up to Liverpool uh, back in back in the day. Um, you know, Rick. I remember Rafael Benitez certainly didn't seem to have that much to do with it. Uh, <laughs> he was at pains to 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 point that out to everybody. But Rick Parry might have consulted with his, um, you know, Stephen Jarrett. What do you think? What would you think of Robbie Keane? Ah, oh, top class. So I think the you know, from Robbie Keane's point of view, he'd probably rather have Stephen Jarrett as the other big time Charlie in the team rather than. Landon Donovan. Oh, Landon. Well, you were over there, of course, for the final for the LA Galaxy's most recent uh, victory. Against uh, the New England Revs. New England Revolution, yeah. And you did note that Robbie Keane seems to have reinvented himself over there as a sort of lion-hearted captain. Yeah. An image that he's never fully portrayed. And Not that he's not a good captain, but he's just never quite lost that. We've never lost that image of him as this skill, skillful, slightly unpredictable almost boyish, uh, childish, in a way, player. Yeah. Whereas over there, he's a mature leader, a statesman, lion-hearted of the team. I wonder what Stephen Jarrett's going to reinvent himself as. Well, that's, that is interesting, isn't it? Robbie Keane is now um, like John Glenn, the the uh, icy commander of the US space program. Um, <laughs> literally a more, a more substantial figure. <clears throat> it's hard to imagine. Robbie Keane should really be wearing a pair of those very severe 1950s glasses, uh, that you uh, sort of associate, you know, you know what I'm talking about? That sort of buzz cut haircut. He's, his hair is almost the right color for it now. This steely gray, and then those um, those very severe black glasses, just to underline the kind of person he now is. Jared, I don't know. I mean, maybe Jared goes over there and he finds himself suddenly liberated from this oppressive weight of history, um, tradition, uh, all those things that you associate with Liverpool Football Club, and. Um, I don't know. He's he he's going around with flowers in his hair. Maybe you know he's he he finds himself, um, you know, like on the Ken Casey bus sort of thing, uh, just <laughs> completely completely free, expanding his mind, exploring new forms of identity. Maybe, you know, this could all be uh, in his in his immediate future. So for for me, it could well be a happy juncture in his career. You know, maybe this was. Maybe he should have just done this in 2005. We'll, we'll chat to Dion Fanning about Gerard, and we'll be talking about defeats of Barcelona and Real Madrid in La Liga yesterday, surprisingly enough. Uh, but first up, it's Ken Early's report on sport. Um, we're going to have to start, Owen, though, with David Moyes, who uh, was the recipient of so much criticism uh, and endured so much misery for so very long uh, when he was the Manchester United manager, and indeed when 
after he was the Manchester United manager in the Daily Mail sent photographers to, well, I don't they sent photographers, but they certainly found photographers who had followed him to Miami Beach and taken pictures of him in his swimming trunks <laughs> to, for, for the delegation of everybody back home who was wondering what had become of David Moyes. Well, here he is walking along, a 50-year-old man in swimming trunks on Miami Beach. Um, but he's back now and he's working in football. Uh, he's at Real Sociedad. And last night, he beat Barcelona. Um, he never had a result like this when he was the manager of Manchester United. But he's got one now at Real Sociedad. Now, the game itself was... Uh, it was the it was a typical kind of game in which a smaller team beats a bigger team. Uh, a goal... Well, the goal was scored maybe a little bit early. You'd think when they score a goal in the second minute, it was a Jordi Alba own goal. He sort of a ridiculous diving header into, into the top corner of his own net. Um... You think, well, that's a little bit too early. They would have been better waiting until the 84th minute to score that goal. But uh, they managed to, to hold on. And what you had was this Barcelona team with uh, Messi and Neymar sitting on the bench, along with uh, guys like Piquet and Dani Alves. Uh, but Luis Suarez and Pedro, um, and guys like this playing up front, Unable to create any chances. Uh, what Moyes says, you know, it's the happiest night since I arrived. We worked very hard. The players showed courage, defended incredibly. The team's shown it's capable against the best teams. Now we must show the same capability to win the other games. Uh, it's reported, David Moyes said. Uh, uh, he, he mentioned the best players can't play at their best level in every match. Because everybody was saying, oh, Messi was on the bench, Neymar was on the bench. Apparently you can't do this. Even if the players in question spend their entire Christmas holidays making money by traveling around the world, which it appears that Messi and Neymar have been doing. I'm just thinking, I can't, I cannot, I, it's particularly the case of Neymar. He's an offensive case to me. He really is. This is a guy who remember in the Champions League last season in a game against the Atletico Madrid in which he personally was completely ineffective, showed the, the band of his, of his boxer shorts several times. In order to, in order that the cameras would pick up the uh, name of the company he had signed some advertising deal, Didn't underwear you advertising him as the deal. The world's first YouTube footballer, or whatever. He is, but I mean, he's a, It's just it's become ridiculous. He's he he seems to think. I mean, Neymar is what twenty three. I think he's actually only going to be twenty three this year, and he's achieved a hell of a lot. Oh, he's game. achieved an unbelievable amount, but it seems to be level on the field. I don't think he's. I don't know. I, I'm surprised you're quite as offended by Neymar. He seems to be uh, a guy who contributes um, quite handsomely to for club and country. Last night, when the well, time okay, came night, for him uh, to yeah. come on, um, Luis Enrique said, oh, it's time for you to go on, Neymar. And he was getting ready to come on. And then he was delayed for a few seconds because he had to take off his necklace. He's wearing some kind of a necklace. I don't know. Probably very expensive. Maybe of sentimental value. Maybe not expensive at all. Maybe it's a kind of an amulet that he has. Shouldn't be wearing it on the bench. Just like, what are you doing? Did he not expect to come on? I'm not sure. It looked he, he looked like a player who hadn't expected to come on, in that in that moment. Um, I mean, he's just it just annoys me to see. I like how good does he seriously think he is that he can just that he can do this that he can fly to Brazil that he can fly all over the place uh, that he can have this incredibly exhausting holiday, mm. uh, make a ton of money, and then come back and be in form. I'm going to I'm I'm going to wait to see how Neymar is playing the in the second round of quarterfinals of the Champions League. Are we going to be hearing oh Neymar is tired. He had the World Cup and then there was that injury. He's under a lot of pressure. Yeah, he puts himself under a lot of pressure. 
You know, I mean, you've you've got the opportunity to rest for ten days and rest. You know, I mean, you've got enough work to do all the rest of the time. He obviously, hasn't been reading Stephen Hunt's articles again. Obviously not. I think Neymar could could benefit from that. Moyes said, you know, um, <clears throat> we had we had hoped this would happen. Some of their most important players wouldn't start, and we were prepared for that. And they took advantage of it. So Barcelona lose the chance to take the lead in the league. I mean, Real Madrid are still top um, by one point, I think. But Real Madrid also have a game in hand. So Real Madrid having lost to Valencia themselves, I mean, that was a more... It wasn't. They didn't play as badly as Barcelona. They did take the lead, and then it just so happened that Valencia scored two quite decent goals. I mean, sometimes that happens. You know, Sergio Ramos was was beaten in a header at a set piece for the second goal, the, the crucial goal. But you couldn't actually fault Sergio Ramos. It wasn't as though he was just standing there. You know, he actually tried to get up and head the ball away. It's just the other guy got there. So sometimes, sometimes teams, good teams lose to lesser teams. That happens. And Real Madrid had won 22 in a row. The world record, I think, is for consecutive victories being 24. Um, you know, I think they can be quite happy with what they've what they've done so far this season. Liverpool begin the post Steven Gerrard era with Steven Gerrard still very much in situ <laughs> against AFC Wimbledon tonight. Yeah, and they're playing at uh, yeah AFC Wimbledon. I mean. Team who famously beat them in the in the uh, FA Cup final. I haven't seen this crazy gang documentary. No, Simon, been talking about. Simon seen it. He said it's uh, said it's quite interesting. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase Simon here. Yeah, the crazy gang. Yeah, come across Ken as a bunch of assholes. There you go. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm paraphrasing, but uh, this whole crazy. In fact, that's exactly uh, the sentiment expressed to us by Ian Holloway a few years back, who played in the crazy gang but wasn't part of the crazy gang. Remember we interviewed Ian Holloway about this? Yeah. And he said, look, these guys, this crazy gang nonsense, they were just bullies, you know? They were just really, really obnoxious bullies and it wasn't a fun place to be. The Ian Holloway figure in the documentary apparently is John Scales. John Scales a sensitive soul and he tells the documentary makers, yeah, it wasn't a great time for me. No. Having to play with, with these Dennis people. Wise and Dennis Wise. I mean, Dennis Wise. I swear to God, I remember seeing him tweaking Nicky Butt's pubic hair in a game between uh, Chelsea and Manchester United. Um, I think it was Stamford Bridge. Just a little uh, lean forward and a tweak. I've never seen that before, but Dennis Wise thinks of these things in the heat of battle. That's what set him above a lot of uh, a lot of other combative midfielders. <laughs> Just that um, sadistic catch. But um, I did read Terry Gibson... Um, Terry Gibson's post about this, which which is quite interesting. I mean, if anyone has seen it, he just sort of completely traduces the whole thing and says that um, John Fashion and Vinnie Jones unbelievably are still willing to fulfill and perpetuate the criteria of being hard men, despite nabbing middle-aged men. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't be so bad if what they were saying was true, but unfortunately most of it wasn't. The majority of their stories were embellished with falsities. Does anyone really believe John Fashion controlled and dominated our dressing room, ruling by fear? Does anyone really believe him when he said he locked people in the boot of a car, or he would tell someone they wouldn't be allowed to eat for two days, and someone was going to be watching over them 24-7 so they couldn't eat? The bloke is deluded. In truth, we tolerated him and laughed at him. He really was, and still is, a clown. The only one he controlled was his mate Jonesy. Hence why Vinny still comes out with false stories backing his old muckers' tales. Now, he does tell this story, which apparently it's in the documentary or version of it. I mean, this is... Nobody had their calf obliterated in a changing room fight with blood all over the place and 30 stitches needed. It's all complete nonsense. Yes, there was a stupid wrestling fight between John Fashionu and a younger player called Robbie Turner. 
Flash stripped down to his underpants and covered himself in baby oil in preparation for the bout. Robbie Turner stood his ground, and they wrestled each other. No punches were thrown. Robbie couldn't get a grip of Flash due to the coating of baby oil. And at some stage, he whacked his calf on a bench. Yes, he was in agony, and the fight stopped. Turned out he'd done some serious damage to his calf muscle with the blow, and if I remember rightly, he did need surgery on it at a later stage. There was no blood, and Flash did not throw him about like a rag doll. But Vinny will never let the truth get in the way of a good story. Yeah, well, uh, according to the doco, Ken, Fash was, and Fash was sort of Henri the Giant style, picking this guy up and smashing him down through tables and busting his his calf open. That's how yeah. it Even the story as told there, the corrected version of the story is, is ludicrous enough. Though, yeah, I mean, why couldn't they just tell that story? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it sounds, it sounds really and good. also, I don't like this guy. Who, who's the who's the player? Terry Gibson. Me? I don't like Terry Gibson besmirching the reputation of one of Hollywood's most respected actors. Oh, really, really I trust did. that man. I can't believe in his performances, Ken, if I if all he is selling me is a puppet. Well, he's got a couple of words for Vinnie Jones as well. He says, It was good to see John Barnes bristling with irritation over fashion news claims of the intimidation used supposedly in the Wembley Tunnel before the final. This is the 88 final when Wimbledon beat Liverpool. Truth is, there wasn't any. That story certainly grown some legs over the years. Similarly, the tackle by Vinny on Steve McMahon in the first minute of the game. A tackle, by the way, that Vinny thinks won us the cup. The tackle was in the eighth minute, not the first. So, But it was, um, have you seen that tackle? Do you remember that tackle? It's a bad tackle. This idea that Vinnie Jones wasn't intimidating, which has kind of grown up over, over the years. He was actually just all mouth or something. Yeah. <laughs> he looked pretty intimidating to me when he was trying to break lads' legs. Yeah, you can be quite intimidating, you know, coming in on guys from behind, you know, <laughs> studs into the ankles. That can really, that can uh, unsettle guys mm. um, when they know that you, you will always take the opportunity to take a cheap shot if one comes up. Uh, John Fashion, who didn't come out very well in terms of the reaction to the to the crazy guy documentary. People not too impressed by his no, personality. By the samurai code of the crazy guy in Wimbledon mm. rescue. Anyway, uh, AFC Wimbledon are, of course, the... I mean, we call them AFC Wimbledon now, but they are the... Original Wimbledon. They're the club. Run by the fans these days. And they're going to be uh, surpassing MK Dons soon enough. Um, but they're playing with, uh, Liverpool tonight with a big, uh, big game, obviously, for them. Um... Uh, Brendan Rodgers trying to work out how this team is going to look now that Gerrard has gone. He says, I think Jordan Henderson has all the leadership attributes. This is going to be new captain of Liverpool, Jordan Henderson. That was one of the reasons I made him vice-captain. He had no greater captain to learn from than Stephen. He's benefiting from his example even before he was vice-captain, but certainly in that new role, he's been in pole position in terms of learning from a great how the job works on and off the field. Uh, we feel we have someone there to offer the same wisdom and knowledge, even if he is a different type. Um, I see, but I see leadership qualities even in the likes of young Raheem Sterling. That's a kid that will go on and develop into world class talent, so on and so forth. Um, I don't know. I mean, that question that we had earlier, Owen, about whether Jared, when he looks back, maybe will think, I really should have left here. I that was my big mistake. 2005, that was the moment. I should have just gone. I'm not sure. He almost certainly would have. Won. I mean, he said, uh, he said about Rogers, if only I'd met, uh, you know, I'm not 24. I wish I was 24. I wish I'd met Brendan when I was 24. Because mm. then we'd be sitting here talking about a lot of titles that we'd won together. Is he talking about meeting Rogers when Rogers was a coach at Chelsea and Gerard could have joined Chelsea in 2004, 2005? Um, probably would have won a couple of titles. Although, you know, there's no guarantee that that necessarily would have worked out all that well for him either. I mean, he would have been there in that dressing room with Frank Lampard. Man, he never was able to play with um, both 
trying to sort of do the same thing, be the goal scoring midfielder. The big man in that dressing room is John Terry, a man who <laughs> who clearly whose respect for Steven Gerrard can be deduced from his behaviour at the twenty ten World Cup when John Terry, who of course had been stripped of the captaincy. Gerard ended up getting it, I think, because Rio, was Rio Ferdinand the captain? And then Gerard ended up as captain because Ferdinand got injured. And John Terry decided to lead a dressing room rebellion against uh, Fabio Capello, even though he wasn't the captain. A dressing room rebellion, which, by the way, nobody joined him on. <laughs> but still, uh, not the kind of move that you would make if you... For instance, I don't know, Owen, if you got to see any of last night's uh, Orti drama, Charlie. No. Um, I did get a text from a friend who suggested that this had slightly more in common with United Passions than than was perhaps comfortable. But uh, if I was to use the example of characters from this, Brian Lenehan uh, appears in this uh, uh, thing as, as this kind of an amiable, tickly bear, right? I've no idea how this man ever managed to have a political career. Uh, he's just... So goddamn amiable. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say he's portrayed as the brightest politician in Leicester House. Uh, he's he's full of giggles over how much the expense uh, the expenses were on their recent trip to Paris. You know this sort of thing. But um, he's he is let's say consumed with respect for Charlie High. It would be impossible to imagine a man like this leading a. Uh, a dressing room revolt when Charlie Hawhey was in the Stephen Gerrard role. But that's what respect means. You sure. know, you just wouldn't even consider that. John Terry, <laughs> yeah, he would have done. Imagine Gerrard had gone to Chelsea. You know, Lampard there, kind of that rivalry. You know, who's John Terry going to be backing up? You know, when you look at it, that may have been one of the main reasons why he didn't actually go there. Mm. Thinking about, well, what's it really going to be like? If the I move that? should have been to Real Madrid, though. Surely, Zinedine Zidane has reiterated in the last few days that they did try to sign him. Zidane seems to adore Stephen Gerrard. Thinks he was possibly the best player in the world at some stage. Uh, and if you have that backing, that was when, he, when Zidane was still playing. He urged the club to sign Stephen Gerrard, and they tried to make it happen. But Gerrard didn't even, or certainly Liverpool didn't even entertain it. Uh, and therefore, it was a re- whatever about it, Chelsea, you still have you're still playing in England. You're playing against Liverpool regularly. Hmm. But at least at Real Madrid, it's a whole new beginning, and you don't have to necessarily worry as much as Stephen Gerrard does about the dire consequences of letting his people down, which seems to uh, have permeated his thinking over the years. Yeah, but, you know, again, Real Madrid at that, at that stage were in a bit of a jock themselves. I mean, remember Michael Owen had just been out to Real Madrid. Seems Jared probably talked to him about what it's like. And I was like, well, you know, I only get the paper the day after. Um, nobody speaks English. You know what I mean? Uh, Food, food's nonsense. Just tiny portions, Ken. Tiny little food. You get a lot food. of them. I end up eating loads of, loads of the Plates and plates of it, and still, I still don't still feel full. <laughs> you know um, that that was Michael Owen in in uh, in two thousand four, two thousand five. That's the season he was there. And Madrid were in a bit of a tailspin at that stage. You know they they kind of um, they were crashing and burning. I mean that whole Zidane team was was disintegrating, and it took a while for them to get back together. You know he could have maybe stuck around long enough to be part of the revival under Fabio Capello. Um, but he would have ended up being sold then, you know, when, when Florentino Perez. So I don't know. I mean, the point is, he may well have won a title if he'd moved somewhere else. He probably would have too, if he'd moved to one of these kind of teams that tend to win titles. But would it all have worked out for the better? I'm not I'm not so sure. You know, what he got to do in the end, I suppose, was uh, 
was pretty great. Like, you know, I mean, as most footballers would say, yeah, it's quite a good career. Oh, yeah. Got to do a lot of things. Um, not over yet, of course. He may still get to win the league title in the United States. Jose Mourinho? Has apologized to a referee. Right. Um, <laughs> well, not, not filled out who he, who he accused of being too slow. Uh, this was a, this was after the unbelievable game between Tottenham and Chelsea last Thursday. Uh, Tottenham and Harry Kane slaying Chelsea five three. Uh, all of course Phil Dowd's fault, says Jose Mourinho. Um, after his team conceded five goals, I think it's the first time his Chelsea team has ever let in five. Um, it was all Phil Dowd's fault uh, because uh, Eden Hazard. Uh, there is an action on Eden Hazard. Hazard, honest as always, tells me in his opinion it wasn't a foul or a red card, so that's good. In spite of Mr. Dowd's too slow to go with that ball, he was 40 yards away, he made the right decision. So Mourinho was actually almost annoyed with Hazard for for uh, ruining the narrative here of Dowd having... He's still going to blame Dowd for being too slow. Uh, this is a referee who was previously criticised by Alex Ferguson for the same thing, and Judge Mourinho is well aware of that. Um, so that's a nasty enough little thing to say. Yeah. Is, is Phil Dad? I don't know. I, I don't know what his forty meter dash time is. I haven't noticed. He, he's a thicker set referee than some. Yeah, but you know, know you can't broad-shouldered. Can't, can't necessarily make make judgments based on on uh, body image. That is know? true, Ken. I did once run about fifteen miles of marathon with a a thick set gentleman, an yeah. Irishman who I'd fallen into conversation with. Uh, this was over in Edinburgh, and I thought after about ten miles, but I thought, boy, he's a bit too chatty, you know. There's just too much talking going on here, but it's grand. He'll fall back at some stage. Yeah. I was the one who fell back, Ken. Did he? I was the one who fell back. Was, met, him, met him the next day. He finished with half an hour ahead of me. So I learned then, don't judge uh, don't judge people on their body shapes necessarily. No, I mean, and that's what that's what happens to poor old uh, Phil Dowd. But I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's fitness tests and all that kind of thing. I'm sure he's, he's meeting the requirements for a man in his position. But no, it was Kevin Friend. Uh, this is another weird one. Um, Mourinho was... He says, uh, I want to apologise, because he attacked the referee on TV after the Chelsea-Watford game for not giving a penalty to Chelsea. He then says, I want to apologise for my earlier comments in some television interviews. What the referee did was great refereeing. He saw that it was a penalty, he was going to give a penalty, but he th- then he saw the ball was going to Remy, and he waited a couple of seconds, because what happened essentially is that the, there was a handball, ball came to Remy, he scored, goal. Mm-hmm. Mourinho was complaining about this afterwards. Should have been a penalty. He then says he talks to the referee, and the referee said, well, actually, I decided to play the advantage, and if Remy hadn't scored, I would have given you the penalty, so don't see what you're so upset about. And now Mourinho's apologizing. It was good refereeing by Kevin. Uh, so, <laughs> so Kevin, Friend, and Jose Mourinho appear to be at least on friendly terms. Well, it's, uh, it's funny, because I watched Claire Balding interview Jose Mourinho over Christmas. Oh, uh, did you? Yeah, it was... Uh, there was something about that was just off. I think Mourinho was just... Was it interesting at all? Did it, you? Yeah, it was interesting. What, what I would say... Well, it's, it's always going to be interesting with Jose Mourinho and... Yeah, you know, Claire Balding's got a very uh, very bright personality. She's unbelievably um, amiable and engaging. I wouldn't say there was too much depth to it, necessarily. I wouldn't say Mourinho gave a huge amount of himself or find, that Claire Balding got that I much. I find his persona to be a little bit... Well, this will fit in with that then, Ken, because she asked him, how do you react when you make a mistake? And, he, and he, he just looks at her and he says, I don't make. I don't make. I don't make mistakes. And then he's, he laughs and goes, no, of course, of course. And then he backtracks and he goes, well, you, you know, you say mistakes, but football is a broad game and sometimes what might look like a mistake, turns if we, out. If we lose a match or if we lose a goal, maybe that's the other team not getting enough credit. 
You know, maybe my striker does not play well. Maybe that's the the, the defender on the other team. So he, in a roundabout way, he ended up saying no. He actually doesn't make what what we would classically term a mistake is not yeah. made by Jose Mourinho, according to the persona that he puts across in this interview. Well, I think that's. I mean, that's fair enough. You know, Mourinho saying I don't make mistakes. That's that's kind of part of his his thing. But I find kind of I find him sometimes a bit smarmy in those kind of settings. You just sort of like, oh, come on, you know, why are you pretending to be such a you know? I'd I'd actually rather see. I mean. After the, the Tottenham game, <laughs> amazing interview, he was just, he was really angry uh, and just treating the questions with total contempt. You know what I mean? But I also felt actually that in some of these, um, in some of these interviews, it's got to the point where the interviewers are doing too much of the work for him in terms of saying, well, um, the referee you know, you're not happy with that, with that, and he didn't give the... Did, was the error compounded by the fact that, you know, there wasn't then... Uh, the the post match interviews do that with all managers, though? I thought it was... Because they're obviously trying to get him to say something controversial on their channel. Of course, yeah. But get him to say it. Don't just say it, and then, then all he has to say is, yeah. Course, or, yeah. or, I don't want to talk. I don't want to talk. You know, if I speak honestly, you know, they'll... Uh, they'll take away all my money, you know, which they... they... He did tell a funny story about Mario Balotelli. He was very warm about Balotelli. Uh, he was like, no, good kid, Mario, lovely kid, lovely kid, uh, misunderstood, all these kind of things. Uh, but then he was asked, well, did you not have any, a lot of problems with him? And he said, oh, of course, yes. I mean, I, I called him into the office one day. I had to discipline him over something. And I told him to be at my office at 2 o'clock on a Sunday or whatever it was. And he wasn't there. He just didn't turn up. And I did some digging. And I found out he was at the Italian Grand Prix. <laughs> right. <laughs> so then I, t- I trained the next day. I said, Mario, you were supposed to be in my office. At uh, two o'clock, and he go and he said, oh, "Yeah, but you know, I, I can go to your office any day." And Grand Prix <laughs> only comes to Italy once a year. <laughs> now, I don't know how true his story was, but considering both men's personalities, possibly it was true. Yeah, uh, yeah. Old, ba- old Balotelli didn't didn't last too much longer. Yeah. Now he, yeah, I mean, Balotelli. Maybe Balotelli knew he was never going to last. But you know, there were on that the subject of the interview. I mean, uh, the one interview that I heard recently, just in the last week. Um, the guy was even aping Mourinho's verbal mannerisms. It was the one. It was the one last week after Mourinho was complaining about like Sam Allardyce oh, says my players dive and you know this player, and so the interviewer actually said, and when other managers speak about and speak about Chelsea, and you're like, that's that's exactly that's the way Mourinho oh, talks, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, don't do that's, that. That's that's not good. Um, but anyway, one uh, more story. Uh, the transfer window is open. Ugh. Um, Great, that means you're only, how many, three, four weeks away from sex toys being produced live on air, <laughs> transfer <laughs> headline day and being stuck into reporters' ears and so forth? I'd forgotten what that, a, yeah. What an edifying spectacle that's going to be. That is going to happen again, yeah, uh, pretty soon. Well, I don't know, are they going to do it the same way? I mean, was there not a common consensus last time that, you know, the uh, civilization finally the basic standards of civilization had been breached, we couldn't keep doing it that way. They're going to have to get little... Um, Plastic um, sort of shields uh, for the for the reporters to stand underneath. I don't know. Um, Not like a Pope Mobile style thing. Yeah, like a, a, a glass dome, like like you would have in one of those snow ornaments that you shake up. You know that kind of a shake, yeah, yeah. Uh, shape rather. Shake up the snow and it settles gradually. That sort of shape, and the Sky News reporter in there <laughs> with the fans bracing their <laughs> faces to it outside. I mean, uh, there's a piece by Jonathan Wilson say saying. Is the transfer market actually just like what would happen if there if it just was kind of cut down to the minimum possible situation instead of everybody making money out of it players managers directors of football 
you know, uh, agents. And what if everybody just constant focused on training and coaching their team, you know, rather than like, oh, we just have to like buy players, you know, as a solution to everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, it does exist. So buying players is a solution uh, if you've got the money. Uh, and the team that seems to be doing most of that are once again Liverpool. Although Manchester United, did you see that Seamus Coleman's being being linked to that oh, yeah. a couple of times? Yeah. Um, I saw the Guardian report a few days ago that uh, Van Gaal sees him as more robust than Raphael. And he also can play wing-back, which would allow the Republic of Irishmen to slot seamlessly into the manager's favourite three-at-the-back system. Um, and yeah, that might uh, that no, might be well, something wing that might back is, he's literally well, he's kind of playing wing back for Everton essentially. Everton, yeah, who are, who continue to uh, continue to underperform. Um, so I don't know uh, how how uh, well how easily they're going to be able to hang on to him. To me, the interesting one would be um, Liverpool are obviously linked with various players. The only goalkeeper they're linked with is Neto, the Fiorentina goalkeeper. Where I would have thought that the outstanding goalkeeper in the Premier League who isn't already playing for a club that's richer than Liverpool would be Begovic, the Stoke goalkeeper. Mm. Um, but maybe they think he would cost too much money. All right, that's the end of Ken Early's report on sport. Reluctantly crouched at the starting line. How are you, lads? Engines pumping and thumping in time. I had a couple of experience of international tournaments. The green light flashes, the flags go up. So we were confined to a hotel with nothing to do. Churning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They Back then, we had no mobiles. There was nothing there watching. There was no laptops, no internet, no Facebook, Twitter, none of that back then. To ring home, you had to queue up for ages with a big water cash. But there was one afternoon, there were seven of us in a bedroom. I'm not going to name any names, right? And there was... Suggestion by someone. I don't know how to phrase this, but why don't we have a competition where how to phrase it? Pleasure ourselves. We pleasure ourselves. We pleasure ourselves. Fella who can who can who can maybe complete the job first is the winner. We pleasure ourselves. And I swear to God, myself and another fella left. Five lads um, competed with one another. We pleasure ourselves. And there was a couple of golf putters there, so we just put a ball up and down all day long trying to hit a Ribena ball. All right, Dion Fanning joins us to talk a little bit more. Stephen Gerrard, uh, Dion, and this story of his, I was about to say retirement, I should say uh, his leaving of Liverpool has been reported with great sadness over the last few days. But is this not a really good outcome for everybody? Because Brendan Rodgers now doesn't have to deal with an increasingly unhappy Gerrard for another season. And the player gets to finish his career as a one-club man because nobody in England counts the MLS as professional football. Um, yeah, I, I think to a degree uh, you, you could say that you know that he uh, Liverpool have a player, a highly paid player, off their wage bill who you know whose whose who's, uh, selection isn't automatic anymore. But I do think there's a problem for the rest of this season how it unfolds. Uh, will will it become a kind of lap of honour for Gerard, uh, and will that affect Liverpool season? Like it won't matter if. You know, when it comes to the final game of the season, if Liverpool are in in sixth or seventh, but if they're chasing fourth, and it's Gerrard's you know last game at Anfield, uh, will will Rodgers be strong enough to leave him out of the side if if he feels that's the best thing to do? Which it has looked like Liverpool's best team is without Gerrard at the moment. So I think in general it's it's not a bad outcome for everybody, despite you know a lot of the sadness. But I do think there's a a few issues, and that's because. The, his position in the side has never really been addressed properly. Like it's never really been dealt with, and so you've kind of have him leaving the club when people still don't really know 
where, where he belongs in the side or if he belongs in the side at all. Yeah, I don't think we even need to sit on the fence as to whether it will be a lap of honour. I mean, it certainly will. We, we know how much Liverpool fans love Stephen Gerrard and we know how Liverpool fans love to show how much they love uh, the, the key figures within the club. But will it be a, can you have a lap of honour if if the the if the, the man being you know worshipped is is sitting on the bench? Like how does that work? Uh, it, it kind of takes you know sort of takes the sort of great emotion out of it if if you know everything he does is just kind of you know trot up and down the touchline on a warm up. Uh, so I, I think there is that problem. Um, now Heath Gerard said you know let's not talk about Stephen Gerard for a while when he did his interview at the weekend. But I, I, I agree with you. I think that's going to be, it's going to be very hard for that to actually happen. And the reason for that really is that there's nobody else there who's worth talking about with a couple of maybe minor exceptions. I mean, you've been saying uh, you think his best position for Liverpool at the moment is on the bench. Is that really the case? Because, I mean, I don't really see the outstanding players uh, who will come in and, and, and replace him in the team. I mean, he still seems to me to be better than the alternatives, which is probably uh, one of Liverpool's big problems at the moment. Well, no, I I think I think one of the big problems is that you can still have this debate that they, again it hasn't been addressed. His replacement, you know, there isn't somebody there who who has who has replaced him definitively. But at the same time, uh, I think they looked like a more cohesive. You know, if you, if you, you know, at times, if you look at the Swansea game, they looked like a more cohesive uh, cohesive midfield. Without Gerard, and uh, when they try and fit him in, you know, you know Rodgers has tried this season to move him, move him from the kind of holding role, move him forward again. That doesn't really work anymore because he doesn't have the legs. Uh, so it's you know you're still going to see the moments of class. You're still going to see the you know the long range passing, whether a long range pass is required or not, and you'll still see the you know he's still Liverpool's the person you want standing over uh, over a set piece if you're a Liverpool supporter. But I do think. Uh, there is there is a, there is an argument that they are more cohesive midfield without him, um, and that that's that again is is the problem. Um, what do you think of what Jamie Carragher had to say about this? Essentially, uh, wrote a big piece uh, in his Daily Mail column saying this is a disgrace. Uh, Liverpool have allowed Stephen Gerrard to drift away. Um, how can they have done this? How can he have been allowed to leave? I mean, what do you think, you know, getting aside from the fact that Carragher, I suppose, is is, is trying to um, stick up for his for his friend, you know, for, on the week that's in it, um, what exactly is the idea here? I mean, what is what is Gerrard's use to Liverpool, if not uh, as a player? I mean, there's this idea that having such vast experience, having been through so much, uh, largely disappointment in the colours, that somehow, I think Brendan Rodgers used the phrase gold dust. He's got gold dust in proper. Of what nature is this gold dust? Well, I, I, I think there is a point about the loss of, uh, of presence. And again, that does come back to the, uh, the mess Liverpool are in with, with a lot of the, the signings they've made. That there isn't, um, you look at, look at the, the squad, you know, look at the, player, the young players that were around when, when Gerard made his debut when Liverpool were going through a pretty bad time and they you know, joint, they just got rid of their joint managers and they were making you know, pretty bad decisions. Uh, but they still had Gerard Owen and Carragher coming through. Uh, you know, Fowler was there, although he's already probably past his best. Um, now they, 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 have, they, have, they have nothing. So you, you, apart from Raheem Sterling, really, and Daniel Sturridge, if he, if he ever comes back, to, ever can be relied upon. Uh, which is uh, you know a, a question mark about him. So I think there is a loss of presence. I don't know how you 
you deal with that with a player who is who is past it and who should be um, being kind of you know gently eased out. Uh, whether Gerard can can handle that. And the other thing about this is Gerard was offered a contract. It's not as if he was told. Liverpool said uh, we we can't we we don't want you. He was offered a contract. He may not have liked the terms of it. Yeah, not, I mean, was it a, not, was it a kind of zero hours contract? I mean, this is the, well, the it, question. I think, mean, from what I understand, it was a pretty re- reduced uh, salary, uh, and you know, then I think you know, I think Brendan Rodgers might have said that you know this it wasn't about money for Stephen, so uh, um, which was helpful. Uh, but I don't think it's, um, you know, I think a contract was was offered. I think he, Gerard said it's an issue about, you know, how many games he's going to play. So that's just a reality of where he is as a player. If he, if he can't, if if he can't accept that, I don't know really what you what you do. You can't guarantee. You can't say to Gerard, uh, you're going to play no matter what. Maybe Gerard thinks he should. Like, you know, again, he he is on the side. He is obviously on the side of the argument that says there isn't anyone better than me there. But Liverpool would would want to be hoping that they do get somebody somebody that can replace a thirty four thirty five year old Gerard at least if they, even if they can't replace or ever hope to get a twenty four year old Gerard in, in you know anytime soon. Uh, Dion, obviously the uh, the thoughts turn to whether or not he's going to come back as a coach and then a manager of Liverpool. A couple of things, though. I mean, he hasn't done any of his badges or anything like that, so it's it, it's. Uh, not, but Brendan Rodgers was quite at pains to point out. Yeah, I thought. well, yeah, maybe he felt that. Well, why aren't you keeping him on as a coach? But he did mention that he hasn't done his badges. But also, I, I think it's quite clear from uh, Ken wrote of, uh, an in depth piece and Jared last year. You wrote uh, in the Sunday Independent at the weekend about. His, his nature, which is relentlessly downbeat, really. And we all know how, uh, the, by all accounts, being a Premier League manager can beat the life out of you anyway. If you're already starting with the sort of disposition that Gerrard has, is, are you onto a bit of a, a downer there? Not trying to destroy his managerial career before it's even begun or anything. Well, I, I think Well, I think it's quite obvious. I think, as in, in their playing careers, I think if any of the two people kind of, of recent, who've recently departed Liverpool who you would like look at in that regard, Carragher is a much more likely Liverpool manager than Steven Gerrard, as he was an actually more effective leader in, in some ways. Like Gerrard led by the, uh, the, the things he did on the pitch, you know, the, the moments of, of magic which inspired people, but he wasn't this solid, reliable figure. He was, you know, I, I, I think some of the stuff, I, like, you know, Ken's piece on this, you know, captured it perfectly, but it is, he is a much more interesting figure than the kind of you know Lionheart, uh, you know brave Steven Gerrard stuff that um, gets gets trotted out a lot of the time. Like he was never that person. He was never that uh, resolute warrior type. He was he was he was a much more needy player, much more anxious player, kind of a, a star who needed reassurance all the time. And again, I don't see how that I, I don't see any logic in, in in the idea that he he would be manager or you know except as a figurehead and again i think Carragher would have leadership qualities in that regard that Gerard wouldn't have what about the manager that is there man who's got a lot of coaching badges uh, Brendan Rodgers Stephen Gerrard's now out of the picture does this mean Brendan Rodgers managerial regime starts here <laughs> the season starts here well the, um, the, 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 the career starts, starts here he starts next season um, well, yeah, that's that's the problem. It's 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 not. It hasn't. He's not out of the picture. They have to they have to figure what, out what they're going to do for the rest of this season. Um, that has actually like Gerard again said he wouldn't. He didn't. He wanted to deal with this now, so the, you know the season wasn't taken up with questions about his future. Now it will be taken up with with talk about his past. And 
again, is there how does how does a manager you know assert himself in the, in that in, in you know in that context? And I think that's going to be the difficult thing for for the remainder of this season, which is a, which is a critical season for Brendan Rodgers. Yeah, Dion, we we'll leave there. Brilliant stuff. Cheers. Thanks, lads. It was a nice uh, quote from Dion's piece yesterday in Sunday Independent. He said that regarding his future career now in Major League Soccer, Jared's career, it will be Steven Jared as he was meant to be. Yeah. Without all the shackles of what we would usually see govern football clubs and football teams, uh, tactically anyway, in, in England. Jared is, as we talked earlier on, Ken, he can reinvent himself as whatever he wants. He can literally do whatever. He could play as a, an out-and-out striker. Yeah, without without you know Nemanja Matic coming in, ruining everything, kicking him, brutalizing him, and taking the ball off him. Um, yeah, I mean, based on what I saw uh, when I went over to see that uh, final, he will look like a very good midfield player in Major League Soccer. Well, I remember Robbie said to you afterwards that uh, Robbie scored the winning goal, and he made the point that the central defensive partnership of the New England Revolution were making the same mistake the entire game. One of them was just, it's a very simple thing, one of them was just pushing up to, too, too fast, fast and the other one was left five yards behind. So there was a little bit of space behind one of them at all times and he was just waiting for the his players, his teammates to get a ball through to him. That just wouldn't happen in the Premier League. Of course it would happen on occasion in the Premier League but there wouldn't mm. be an entire game where two centre halves in any team, I would say, are looking at each other and increase, and in the wrong position at all times. So it's just, just a small snippet into what the standard is like. Yeah, and um, that's the kind of thing you imagine Jared would be quite good at, at uh, spotting. I mean, the problem that he has now is that he just can't run around the way that he used to. I mean, that was what made him kind of a really outstanding player. Uh, whereas now he's merely, you know, quite good at Premier League level. I mean, a fairly classy, fairly mobile uh, player who who struggles to influence a game if his team are under pressure. Real Madrid finally slipped up this weekend. They had won 22 in a row before being beaten by Valencia yesterday, but Barcelona couldn't take advantage. Brought down by David Moyes as Real Sociedad. Kieran Canning is based in Madrid and is ready to chat about this. Kieran, how much praise is being heaped upon Moyes for this masterstroke? Uh, it's highly unoriginal. Um, the Spanish TV described it as a brave heart performance from Moyes' men last night. Um, and I, I think there is a recognition that Moises has got the intensity and the aggression back in, in Sociedad's play. That was one of the things that um, was, was part of their success a couple of seasons ago when they qualified for the Champions League. And it was interesting that, that Moyes himself last night described that to, to his early days at Everton and, and having to work out a way to, to get results against the, the bigger teams, they said, particularly against Liverpool and Arsenal, um, and finding a way to sort of dig in, um, defend deep, not allow the, the, in theory, better team on paper too many chances and then uh, take their own chances on, on the counter-attack or, or from set pieces. And it's no surprise that their goal arrived, albeit via Barcelona ahead from a, a set piece inside two minutes. How has David Moyes managed to to get that sort of intensity out of the players, given that he... I mean, because he has made a pretty good start. I think it's one defeat in eight matches so far one defeat in six league matches. That's not bad at all, considering that he took over a team that was in uh, in pretty poor shape. But of course, he doesn't really speak Spanish. I mean, we've seen him uh, him trying to throw in a couple of Spanish words and so on, trying to show at least that he's making an effort there. Um, but it's quite clear that uh, he, he doesn't quite have the mastery yet of the language to, to communicate his ideas to the players. So how is he how is he getting his message across? Well, I know there is a, a coach um, who was working in, in the youth ranks at Sochtad who was going to be promoted up to work alongside him, um, acting as a as a translator. 
But I think the the one of the reasons that it made sense for Moyes to take the Sociedad job is that they were in a bit of a false position. Um, they're still only 13th, but if you look at their points tally, they've got 18 points, and nine of those points have come from beating Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid and Barcelona at home. So this is a team that's on, on with the players that they have um, is a lot more capable than what they had been showing up until Moyes' arrival. And even, I know, I know you're saying that they've only lost the one game, but until last night, it'd been very much a sort of so-so um, start because they beat, uh, I think it was Elche at home. Um, they lost heavily away to Villarreal and the rest of the games have been draws apart from uh, a cup win um, against a lower league team. So it, it hadn't been, it had been neither a, a fantastic start nor a disastrous start. But now I think that result last night will really um, kickstart their year and they should, based on the players that they've got, be looking to finish in the top half of the table. Uh, so should Barcelona. They probably will. In France, they're still uh, not too far, <laughs> not too far off the top. But a fairly demoralising result for them, given that Real Madrid had also lost. This was a chance to overtake Real Madrid at the top, even though Real Madrid do have a, uh, a game in hand owing to the World Club Championship, which would have been a big statement after Real Madrid had won what twenty-two matches in a row. But Barcelona made a mess of it. Now a lot of the attention has going to be on their uh, team selection, which saw a lot of important players on the bench, and we'll get to that. But Luis Suarez did start, and once again, he struggled. A 75 million pound player isn't really entitled to struggle. No, I think last night, um, point the finger a bit more, maybe in the sense that previously he's tried to, to accommodate his game around Messi and Neymar, and it's... I think it must be very difficult for him coming from a situation where at Liverpool where he's by far the, the biggest fish in the pond to come into this situation where he has to try and blend in with two other superstars. Whereas last night, at least in the first half before Messi and Neymar came on, there was much more responsibility um, on him to make things happen. And to be fair, I think, as always with Suarez, there was, no, there was no lack of effort, but he just doesn't seem to be in the same sort of form we saw him with Liverpool last season. I don't think it can be underestimated the fact that he didn't play any football for four months um, and is still kind of coming back into to form and fitness, I would suggest. Um, and I, I still think in the long term he will he will prove to be a success, but it's situations like last night where when Messi and Neymar aren't there and the focus is on him, um, that he really needs to shine. And the interesting thing was that last night's game very much resembled the game away to, to Almeria um, a couple of months ago just after Suarez's return from his van, actually. And Luis Enrique did the same thing, albeit Messi started the game, but Neymar and Suarez both started on the bench and they were losing 1-0 at half-time and playing very poorly. Um, and that day it was Messi who seemed to, to not be able to associate with his teammates, not be able to sort of drag them out of their slump. And it was Suarez coming off the bench um, that made a big difference that day. He set up two goals and, and Barcelona sort of sneaked out a win. So there has been flashes of, of his brilliance there, but he's just not producing it on a, on a consistent basis and it's hard to tell whether that's the system trying to blend in with all his new teammates or as I say the fact that he had such a long break away from, from playing that he's still working his way back to fitness It is funny though Kieran. I, you mean I would have thought Luis Enrique is entitled to think that he should have the luxury of resting at least two of those guys two of the three guys in any given match against a lower team and still be able to churn out a result but it doesn't necessarily seem to be the case no, I think because if you watch Barcelona this year, it's it's so different to say at the height of the the Guardiola days because 
even then when you had Messi scoring all these goals and having his, his moments of brilliance, it was the whole uh, team unit working together that made them so brilliant, especially in, in the midfield when they had uh, Busquets, Iniesta and Xavi at their peak and all working together. And the interesting thing was that last night, so in the few times this season that, that those three started in, in the league this season, and you can see the drop-off, particularly in, in Xavi and, and Iniesta's play. And throughout the season, Barcelona have, because they've got these three superstars upside, up front, have decided that we're going to live or die by, by their individual moments of brilliance. I think the PSG game um, a couple of weeks ago was the, the best example of that, where it wasn't a great performance, but each one of them scored, and that was enough to, to get the victory against, in theory, what should be a, a, a rival for, for the Champions League. Um, and so if, you're, if your plan throughout the season is to deliver die by those three strikers and then you take two of them out of the, the equation, um, then you're going to struggle. And that was exactly what they did, say, as I say, a couple of weeks ago at Almeria and, and especially last night. Yeah, and we know that managers, Pep Guardiola certainly found it quite difficult on the very rare occasions when he left Lionel Messi out of the team to deal with the poisonous aftermath of, of that decision. Messi doesn't like being left out. And you could see last night... Um, you know, he he was kind of sulking to be there, sitting on the bench. Came on for the second half and uh, couldn't rescue it. But you know, I mean, Neymar came on as well in the second half. Um, but I wasn't surprised at all that they were left there because I mean, I've been looking, I've I've seen quite a lot of these guys over the Christmas. Um, they seem to have gone everywhere. They they they've they've been given sort of extended holidays by Luis Enrique, particularly Neymar, an absolutely ridiculous uh, Christmas schedule he had. I mean, he must be so drained coming back to Barcelona. Was it? What's he been? Well, he's he's. I mean, he's covered. He's been to you know ten different places. He went back to Brazil, obviously for his Christmas holiday. Um, flew to Jundiaí, flew to back to Santos, flew to Uberlândia, Santa Catarina, um, playing in charity games, going to New Year's parties. I mean, it looks like he's had an amazing time, but he must be completely exhausted and in need of a two-week holiday. Um, at this point, when he's when he's returned to Barcelona, when are these guys going to stop grabbing money for long enough to take a break and get themselves in shape for the second half of the season? I thought that was the point of having a winter break. I was going to say, I think that the the criticism you could make of, of Luis Enrique was probably not deciding not to start Messi and Neymar last night because they only got back on Friday, so they trained with the team uh, Friday Saturday. And I presume obviously the Saturday would be a very light session. And then we're playing on the Sunday. It's more why they were given an extra few days holiday than, than the rest of the players. So the, the, the Spanish players, uh, the European players, were, were due back on the 30th, I think. And then the rest of the South American players back on the 31st. But mysteriously, Messi and Neymar got holidays until the 2nd. Um, and I suppose the, the idea would be that if you... If you don't give them that luxury of those extra few days off, then you can control what they're doing and make sure that they're properly rested and, and fit to go for the this latter part of the season. But I think um, it was a very strong signal of who who's uh, really almost really in charge and the fact that the, the excuse given for why Messi and Neymar were given extra holidays was their participation in the World Cup and the fact they're going to play in the Copa America this coming summer. Yet, Mascherano, for example, um, was in exactly the same situation and wasn't given those extra days off. 
Just on Real, Kiernan, yeah, you know it in your piece, it's the first time since April 2011 that both uh, both teams have lost on the same day in La Liga. Is there Are there any bigger themes within Real Madrid's defeat or is it just the case that you're going to lose one every once in a while? Yeah, I think that you know, despite losing um, after an incredible run of winning 22 games, it wasn't the worst day for Real Madrid when you take into account uh, Barcelona lost. Barcelona and let's go play each other next weekend so at least one if not both of their title rivals are going to drop points then and it's one of those games on paper you were looking at it and thinking this is going to be a big ask for Real Madrid coming as it did just after the winter break where the momentum might have been interrupted a bit after that great run and I think with Real Madrid we're talking about you know, Barcelona's stars being um, travelling on, on their you know, presumed holidays. Real Madrid went from the Club World Cup in Morocco, um, had a week off, and then were playing a friendly against AC Milan in Dubai last week, and having to fly back and then play this game in Valencia, um, which probably wasn't the best idea in, in hindsight. And Valencia are, are a serious team. I think that um, for all the the foundations in which it's built on with Peter Lim and his relationship with Jorge Mendes, um, may not work out for the best in, in the future at the moment. They've, uh, they've got Valencia back to a level where they can compete with the best teams in the Liga. Um, they're fourth at the minute. I think they're just five points off the top um, and should very much be challenging for a return to the Champions League come the end of the season. Okay, Kieran, brilliant stuff. Thanks, mate. Okay, thanks, guys. I think most people will be pleased for David Moyes getting these kind of results, wouldn't they? Well, I, I suppose I can't speak for anyone else. I'm pretty pleased for David Moyes yeah. to get these results. As, as, well, unless you absolutely hated David Moyes. Yeah, which I don't know if anyone really did. I don't think that the issue was necessarily... Well, it was Moyes' personality, actually. Is the idea was maybe that his personality didn't quite match up to a job of the st- stature of Manchester United, but it might well match up to uh, a team in Spain, certainly based on the results so far. Uh, bringing one of the teams not regarded as a giant towards the summer towards the top of the league maybe next season yeah I mean I, want, I do wonder maybe if, if actually not being able to speak Spanish initially it might not be as big a disadvantage as, as it might seem um, I mean you know it means that his his uh, what the players think of him is based more on his on his kind of non-verbal demeanour you know the way that he kind of comports himself you could say Maybe actually that's no bad thing. <laughs> I mean, I, I can I think of the example of Rafael Benitez who arrived in England not speaking much English, and the more he learned, <laughs> the worse he got. You know, you could you could almost say, uh, you know, that when in his in his first season when he when he didn't really speak a lot of English at all, he he almost had a more uh, striking sort of presence about him than in in his later seasons when he was able to you know write down a list of facts and, you know, do this kind of thing, which actually didn't come across that well. So maybe Moyes has managed to strike the right tone initially. And, um, uh, well, certainly when you look at the results of Real Sociedad, you have to say he's, he's started very well. Keith Andrews and Clinton Morrison were on together on goals on Sunday yesterday on Sky Sports. And Andrews was asked about Trapattoni's, about the communication difficulties there, the language barrier. And Andrews said, there was none. There was, it was fine. It was just... Uh, he said it was games he p- would play with the media. This, uh, so this idea that we all had the Trapattoni wasn't very good at communicating his thoughts in English. Well, according to Andrews, wasn't seen behind the scenes. It was just something that Trapattoni liked to put forward 
and in front of uh, in front of a microphone. I'm not 100 percent sure if that's the case because Trapattoni seemed very happy to to talk. Didn't seem to care what people thought about him. Yeah. So not remotely sensitive to criticism in that way. Um, so the problem the media had with him is that when you asked him a question, he would give you a long answer, but it wouldn't be the answer to the question you'd asked. He'd just talk a lot about you know whatever he felt like talking about and. Uh, you know, but I mean, he, he clearly was able to make himself understood. But he's a very different type of personality from Moyes. You know, a lot more, uh, a lot more extroverted. A lot more. He strikes you as being a much more confident person. You know, inter- interpersonally, um, he wasn't afraid to say pretty much anything that he thought might be English, mm. uh, in the hope that people would get what he what he was talking about. And obviously, he was very expressive in the, with his gestures and so on. In a way that Moyes is a bit more sort of buttoned up, I think. So I don't know if he necessarily be as good as Trapattoni was at getting his point across by whatever means came to hand. But, you know, let's wait and see. Clinton Morrison told Chris Kamara that they still love me over in Ireland. They actually have a statue of me up in Grafen Street in Dublin. And Kamara said, do they? And he said, no. Always nice to make a fool out of Chris Kamara was the, uh, the, was, uh, the thought process there. Did Kamara take it in the... Oh, completely, yes. Yeah. Oh, they're having incredible... I would say they were having a lot good. of... Banter. Banter again through the entire show. Thanks very much for uh, listening today. There's another podcast out later on today. We'll be talking about wins for Leinster and Connacht and the Interpros over the last few days and plenty more besides that. We might get a sneaky mention of the darts in. I know you're watching a little bit of that, Ken, so we'll see if we can manage to to do that. In the meantime, take care. Thank you, Ken. Thank you too, Thanks again, and we'll talk to you later. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys.